thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Uh, Right around Mother's Day, uh, we celebrated Renata by going over to Snooze, right over here at 135th and Metcalf, because word on the street was that there was a brand new amazing breakfast in town. And it was so amazing uh, that Renata uh, was not tolerant of just any kid ordering what they wanted. Renata took a bite of everybody's food. Like, so it was like, Hey, I want a bite of your waffles. Give me a bite of your French toast. Give me a bite of your omelet. And, uh, so we celebrate mother's day and it's also close to her birthday with this big breakfast. And she's not just like, I'm going to order what I want, but Renata starts saying, I'm going to taste a little bit of everybody's. And when it's your birthday and it's mother's day and you're the queen of the house, you know, you do whatever you want to do. It's yours. My, my waffles are your waffles. All right. Like that's the, that's the big win. And so here's what Renata's doing. Give me a little taste of everything. I want a little bit of bite. Not just, I I want something of everything. It's a big word here called syncretism, but what's going on here in Colossae is Paul is writing to this church that was started by a guy named Epaphras, and Paul had invested in him, and now Epaphras has started the church. And this idea of syncretism, where it's, it's essentially what we might call a mashup, it's where you take different ideas and you, you mix it all up together. And the reason why Paul is coming on strong about the supremacy of Christ or the preeminence of Christ is because he's coming along. He's saying, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't take this and just put it in, blend it all up together and create your own recipe of religion. You can't do that. And we, in our culture, I think have a tendency to do the same thing. We have a tendency to love create your own because we live in a, in a culture that loves create your own. I, I, when it comes to a free market economy, I love create your own. Like there's a lot of places that I love create your own, but I really like it at Starbucks, right? I mean, at Starbucks, it is create my, I don't care what, how they want to make that coffee. I want it done my way. I've been taught it in the eighties. I learned it from Burger King, but in Starbucks, oh, a few people from the eighties. All right. Uh, we do it your way. All right. But, but, but. But I, I want my coffee my way. So give me that double tall vanilla latte decaf, baby. I've already got enough energy. All right. Give me, I want it extra hot, no whip, no foam. I mean, extra lids, no cup, double sleeve. Like, give it to me like I like it, right? And we do that with everything. You can go to McDonald's and now, I mean, probably the, one of the cheaper burgers in town at McDonald's, and you can just right there on a screen, just exactly what you want. You can get it your way. And we love create your own. But when you take create your own and apply it to your faith, you have an anemic faith. When you take it to your faith and you say, I want to kind of do this my way. And so I'll take a little bit of hedonism, a little bit of materialism, a little bit of consumerism. I'll take kind of the things that I desire and that I want, and I'll put a little Jesus in there and then, and I'll kind of create a recipe and make it my way. Paul's coming here and he's saying, you can't, no, you don't, you've got to recognize the supremacy, the preeminence, the lordship, who Jesus is, that he surpasses all things. And that's the idea that he's hitting on here. And he, he comes to these, this little section of verses, which we're going to talk about today, where it's like a hymn. It would have been big word, but it's Christology. It would have been this statement of just the excellency, who Jesus is, the supremacy, the glory, 
who Jesus is. And I just want to, I just want us to elevate our view of what, who Jesus is and what Jesus is like by staring at these verses today. Um, because Paul helps us want to walk away, not creating our own religion, using a little bit of Jesus and coming up with what we want and then just kind of covering it up and say, it's all well, it's all fine. Because a lot of people like to do that. A lot of people like the benefits of the kingdom without the king. And so you want to say, I'll, I'll use the word Jesus, but I'm going to do things in the way that I think is best. And Paul's coming against that strong where he's saying, I need you to recognize, I want you to see, I want this church that's just getting started in Colossae, I want you to see who Jesus is. So he's got some phrases here that helps us grow. He is the image of the invisible God. So right at the beginning, he's saying, Jesus is God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Jesus makes the invisible God visible, helps understand what he looks like. And so when you look at it like Moses, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. You remember that when we were working through Exodus and Exodus 33, show me your glory. I want to see. And you read right through the Old Testament and there is this desire to see what is God like? I want to know what God is like. I want to see. I want a little glimpse of what God looks like. And then when Jesus comes, we have God incarnate. Here's Jesus. And you look at Paul, and Paul's pointing back now. And Paul had the encounter where he beholds a light. Acts 9 says, brighter than the sun. And he's writing to the church here. He's saying, when you look at Jesus, it's the image of the invisible God. That's the text. It is, it, I mean, you can see what God is like. So there's an elevated understanding of Jesus when you recognize this is what God looks like. Hebrews 1 says it this way. The sun is the radiance. Ooh, radiance. I like that word radiance. Everybody's just go radiance. Mm, July 4th. Here it is. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. And this is a great phrase. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So I'm just looking at this idea of this exact representation. And I think that when you get this, it helps you fall in love with Jesus. I think when you get this, you go, okay, Jesus, I can study the life of Jesus. Look at, look at who he is. Look at what he says. And it helps me get a window. What does God look like? So even Moses' confession, prayer, cry, man, I got some of that by looking through the lens. I can look at the window of what God is like. And, and sometimes I think it's easy for us to just take Jesus and kind of give our, maybe our, our memorized doctrinal answer of just looking at um, maybe what Christ does for me, maybe the, the work of the cross for me, and I'm grateful. I want to invite you to let that be a step and then take it even another step where you're looking into, I want to see who Jesus is and what is he like. I want to look at him because when I, when I actually study him, that's what Christology is. It's the study of Christ. I want to invite, this is a Christology class, you to look and go, I want to know what Jesus is like because in so doing, it helps me fall in love with God, helps me grow more in love with God. So if you have the right view of God, you'll draw near to God. If you have the wrong view of God, you'll draw back. When you get a right view of God, it, it actually helps you lean in and go, I want, I want more of him. So when the author of Hebrews says he's the exact representation, it gives us a high view of Christ, gives us this high view of who Jesus is, gives us Jesus is God. 
wow, I want to study it. Man, I could study a lot of ologies, but I want to study Christology. There's a lot of good things to study, but man, I've got, I've got in the Gospels, I've got the stories, I can read I can read the epistles talking back. I can read the revelation of Jesus in Revelation. I can read I can read the fulfillment of the Old Testament of who Jesus is and these speak to who Jesus is and was. So knowing what Jesus is like, who Jesus is, studying it and it gives me this view of what God is like. It helps me it helps me grow in love for God. Because your love for God will never outrun your view of God. So a lot of people have, have a lot of internal turmoil because at the end of the day, they have a, an off view of God. But I think if you'll study who Jesus is, you'll fall in love with God. You'll go, wow. You'll go, I really, I see the way that Jesus interacts. It's a great phrase in John 14 where Jesus looks at Philip and Philip says, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And, and Jesus goes, don't you know me, Philip? Even if we've been together such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. <laughs> Big statement. I mean, I just look at Jesus, and this kind of feels like a little strict. Like, don't you know? I mean, I feel a little, a little, a little correction. Like, this is the end of the semester, Philip, and you still don't get this. I mean, but, but if we were to take that and go, all right, when I study, I, I study even even the details of Jesus' life. Like, what's he like in the morning? Oh, he's getting up early to be with his father. I think, that's, I think there's some application for your life. What's he like? Oh, he's extremely patient and kind with children. I think there's a little application to our lives. I think that might show us what the father's like. He, he's extremely generous and kind towards the sinners that don't know God. He's extremely irritated with the people that use religious means to control people. He, I, I, you just start to look at who he is. You look at his pace of life. Huh. He seems like he's, he's got great rhythms. He's, he's, he's constantly getting alone. So he spends time in solitude. Then he comes back and he really does serve people. I and mean, he spends time with the crowds. He teaches. Hmm, he's really intentional to disciple 12. It gives a little more time to Peter, James, and John. Mount Transfiguration gives more time to three. And then he's got, look at that. He's got that specific, you know, friendship with John. He's and you, what you do is you just kind of go, huh. When I study how, who Jesus is, there's a whole lot of, helps give me a view of what God is like. Now the whole scripture gives us who God is like, but right here, Paul is specifically talking about, here's Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He makes the invisible God visible to people. It helps you have this passion to want to get to know what God is like by virtue of looking at what Jesus is like. And I was uh, this week looking at, um, I was this text in Luke 2 where I was challenging teenagers to look at Jesus as a teen. More preteen, but in Luke 2, we've got this moment where he's 12. And you can kind of learn what Jesus is like even at 12 as a teenager. And it, and it impacts us who he, is, who he is later on. Like, have you noticed in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is left behind in the temple and 
Mary and Joseph come back looking for Jesus. And Mary says to Jesus, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus comes back and says, did you not know that I would be in my capital F father's house? I just think it's interesting that at 12, Jesus corrects his mom. She refers to your father and I, and Jesus got a little zip on him. Like he's like, did you not know I'd be in my father? Capital F, speaking of the temple, my father's house. Or it says about another version, could go either way, my father's business. So even at 12, Jesus has this relationship with his father, this understanding of his spiritual identity. And then you keep going, and he's, he's sitting in the temple asking questions, learning, and teaching, astonishing the people there, and learning. What's interesting to me is when I look at adult Jesus, Jesus is always getting alone with his father. He constantly talks about his father. I mean, you can't read Jesus and not be overwhelmed by how often he's talking about his father. When he teaches him to pray, teaches to pray, our father who art in heaven. He's getting alone with his father. He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Your father, Matthew 7, who sees what is done in secret. Will for- I mean, over and over and over again, he's talking about his father as an adult. And he's asking questions. You look at the way that he interacts with his disciples. He's constantly saying, who do the people say that the son of man is? Hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you believe what I've done for you? He's a question asker, but he was a question asker at 12. It's just interesting. And then he says, I'm about my father's business. So we know he's even 12 to 30. He's just, he's growing. Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and man. Here's what I'm saying. We can look at just a little text And just kind of get lost in who Jesus is. And just go, wow, he's the exact representation of the Father. My my knowledge of who Jesus is helps my heart soften to expand and worship and and love who God is. Because a lot of people, when we sing goodness of God songs, like we just sang, I have lived in the goodness of God. They're like, this is just a song for the church people. This is just a song who, uh, for people who just don't know very much. But I want to invite you to, to reverse engineer it and go the other way. It's the people who see Jesus as preeminent, study who he is, believe that he is at work in our lives, interpret our lives, not with us as the center, but with Jesus as the center, and interpret human history that you are good in all circumstance. And when I'm declaring the goodness of God, it's because of who Christ is, and he is preeminent. I am not preeminent. Jesus is. And when you look at Jesus, the exact representation, I was thinking about how our children are not exact representations of us, like Jesus is this exact representation of the Father. Uh, My son Dawson, um, when he played, first started playing basketball, not first, when he was about 12 or 13, um, Renata and I went to one of his basketball games, and we went to more than one, but I'm talking about one specific one. Um, (laughs) I ain't coming to the Father's Day, this guy preaching, he's only been to one basketball game. Anyway, um, and Dawson was playing center down under the goal, under the basket. Sorry, Oklahoma goal basket. And, uh, and, 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 and my son was one of the tallest kids on the team. And my son had brown eyes, dark hair. And 
to every kid who would miss a shot, he was super smiley, like, good try. And he was all hugging people and high-fiving people. And he was real sweet. And he was not like, he was not fouling. Like my, my son just didn't foul very well. He wasn't a very physical player. He was more, a little, got a little finesse on him, but certainly not going to be fouling out of many games. And so I'm just watching and, and I'm just having the thought like, huh, that's my kid. Weird. And then another kid came in off the bench and this kid was short, a fouling machine, totally talking smack to everybody. I mean, just kind of annoying and just like extra aggressive, very little skills, but real big talker. And I thought to myself, now that's my boy right there. I don't even know that kid, but that kid was, up, was, up, was up. I like that guy. That guy reminds me of my day, baby. Here's what I mean. I just mean this. Our kids, they're, 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 they're not exact representations, but but when we look at Jesus, and it's hard to wrap our brains around the idea of Trinity. But Paul is speaking to the church in Colossae here saying, you can, you can know what God is like. Jesus is God. Jesus, so, so view him, see him, and you'll grow in reverence, understand even who he is, supremacy. In the second phrase, it says this, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So just number two, we'd just say Jesus is the creator. So Jesus is God. Don't mix him up and turn him into your thing. Jesus is God and Jesus is creator. So John tells us, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And it's just a real simple idea of saying, my heart can expand in honor, love, um, reverence, preeminence. As I even look at, even when I look at Jesus, knowing he's the creator. So it's how I love that song that Katie wrote, even the winds and the waves know your name. It's that idea of he's the creator. And we look at that and go, wow, cast out devils, walks on water, calms the storm, heals the leper, power. But even when you think about that he's creator and that even God on earth and we see him walking in power, before I, he, he's the creator before all those things. His power, we can't even fathom. And it just helps us have this honor, respect. So he's growing up as son of a carpenter. And I was just picturing him even like making a wooden stool. But before he's making a wooden stool, you know, Jesus is the one who is making planets. Before he's making a chair, Jesus is the one who's able to take, make the stars So we see this, wow, this awe, this marvel. He is God. He is creator. And Paul's looking at the church in Colossae and he's going, up up how you see him. Got to recognize what he's like. He's before all things and in, in him all things hold together. 
I just wrote Jesus is the center. In him, all things hold together. He's the center of it all. So when you look at, I was thinking about this idea of holds together. That was the phrase that was sticking out to me. Holds together. I'm just picturing him holding the planets together, holding the earth together. And um, scientists who have far more knowledge than me and look at the world and the way that everything, and when you think of him as creator and that he holds all things together, I was just thinking about the idea of holding, holding the earth together, holding all things together. I, I, did you ever grow up singing that song? He, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. He's got the world in his hands. And I was just thinking if he holds all things together, he can hold you together. <laughs> Sometimes we think my challenges are too hard. I can't fathom the pain that I'm going through right now. He can't hold me together. Why did this financial circumstance end up like it did? Why do I have the physical ailment that I do? Why did my friend die? Why did I lose my parent? Why did my child? And I just look at, here's Paul, and he says, Jesus, he holds all things together. And I want to just encourage you in the middle of your darkest storm, he can hold you together. You know, it's one of the benefits of being a pastor. One of the things I love so much, I love being a pastor for so many reasons. But one of the ones that's amazing is to see people going through the darkest time and God holds them together. I, I just remember doing the funeral of a family where they just lost their two-year-old and they worshiped and I prayed with them. I have the memory of being in the hospital with someone who suddenly their physical strength is now significantly less for the rest of their life because of an accident. And yet, possessing such joy and peace, talking about heaven, eternity, talking about how this isn't the end, and because of Christ, I'll be okay. I have just the memory, and I've told you this before, but of sitting with a family of murdered children who have tears and appropriate grieving, but speak of Christ in the middle of the chaos. And I just thought, what holds them together in their darkest moment when physical sickness goes away or financial wealth goes away? or some horrible accident changes their lives. It's Christ. The preeminent storyline is Jesus. He is the storyline. He's the cover story. He's the leading story. He's the front story. And if your front story is your wealth, you'll end up with an anemic faith. If your storyline is your success, you'll end up with an anemic faith. If your storyline is your incredible intellect and your multiple degrees, you'll end up with an anemic faith. But if your storyline is Christ, is king, he's God, he's creator, he's the center of it all, he holds me together, then you can go through your darkest day and though your, your circumstance be horrendous and real, you have hope in the midst of the chaos because Christ holds you together. Christ is the center. 
and he holds you together. He is your hope. He is your strength. And if you're in this room or online today, know that no matter what you're walking through, Renat and I recently walked through a tragedy with a family where we just drove in our car together saying, how is she filled with such faith? How is she filled with such peace in the midst of such difficulty? And the only answer is Christ is holding her together. Last phrase, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Pick your version, supreme, that he might be preeminent. That, so that preeminent means surpasses all others, that in everything he might be number one, that he might, he might be above all the other isms. So a lot of people might have some other isms in their lives, some other philosophical ideas or some other things that they, but, but the idea that Paul is saying is get deep bedrock in your mind, the excellency, the worthiness, the supremacy, the preeminence of the resurrected Christ. He's number one. That's why he says over and over again, that in all things, all things, all things, all things, not some things, all things, he's preeminent. So we lift him up above those things. And it's actually when we put him in that worthy, supreme, preeminent place that our lives actually start to have the greatest level of joy. And that's what we often don't really believe. We often think, I got to hold on to that last little fraction so that I can have what I want and Jesus to boot. But it's actually in that Jesus, you actually can have it all. Great song for a lyric, often not what we live. Christians don't usually tell lies, but we frequently sing them. <laughs> that was meant to be funny. Sorry. That wasn't funny. That was like, right? You can have it all, Lord. It's a confession that we have to come to over and over again because of the temptation to just every day just start to let that fade. And so Paul's just coming in strong, saying, no, he's got to be supreme, preeminent over everything, over all things. And when we get that, then we actually, it, it, it is amazing the things of the kingdom. It is amazing how we give all, and then we can face any circumstance, and we're okay. That's when Paul says to live as Christ. Christ, he's preeminent. It's Philippians 1, not Colossians, but just for a second. To live as Christ, to die as gain. That's a bizarre statement to us. Because our lives are really, really good. So to, what? But Paul is saying, no. To live as Christ. If I live, I'm on mission. It's when Jesus says at 12, I'm about my father's business. To live as Christ. Well, fine then. We'll kill you. But to die as gain. Go for it. I'd rather be with him anyway. Ooh. Fine, we'll throw you in prison. <laughs> no problem. I'll write these letters. Change the world, baby. You can't hurt me. You got nothing on me. Why? Because when Christ is supreme, preeminent, it's actually the enjoyment of living in salvation. Free from the things of the world. I have found freedom in Christ because he is supreme. And all things pale in comparison to Christ. Christ is all. I'll just close with this. 
You know, C.S. Lewis has that great quote where he says, um, Christianity is like people that are like children on the beach. It's amazing how often we don't give everything and recognize what's available for us. And he illustrates it by saying, it's like a child who is playing with garbage, or he says in mud pies, and doesn't understand that what's available to him is a day at sea. And he's saying, we are a people that are far too easily satisfied. So I had that quote, that C.S. Lewis quote in my head when I was with Renata. Uh, we were at the beach and um, having a great, great marriage getaway. And there was this motel. It was a subpar motel. Like, I'm being nice, trying to be sweet and polished. It was, can you say sketch? Is that a bad word? I accidentally said some bad things at the youth conference, so I'm nervous and scared right now. <laughs> I'm all timid. I'm like, ah. Um, it, you, know, you, you know you're old when you're accidentally saying things that culturally are like inexcusable. But anyway, um, I'm going to use the word sketch. If that's wrong, throw it on TikTok again. Um, but uh, it, was, it was rough. And so we're, we're, we, and, and we're, the, the way, place where we were standing, you could actually see this the sketch, subpar motel with this really pathetic swimming pool, a street, and then just past the street, beautiful beach and incredible ocean, and it's just beautiful. It's amazing. And you see people that are at the beach with their kids loving the beautiful beach, and then you have this awful, I mean, pretty lame sketchy uh, motel and the pool, like really bad, like, like green chlorine. Is it green? I mean, like grass coming up through the cracked sidewalks. Um, looked like it hadn't been cleaned in a long time. And there's people that are just swimming in this. And it's a free beach. Like that you, it's a, it was, a, you don't have, you could just walk across the street and you got the ocean. And I'm wondering, who does that? Who comes to the beach, goes swimming at this awful pool that just looks terrible? I mean, like our pools here make this look awful. Like, like our pools are incredible. I mean, it's just, ugh. I couldn't believe that it was on the row. It just looks, I'm sorry, you get it. But especially because I live in Kansas City, so I don't have ocean. And when I'm like, it's right there. And I just think it's the perfect picture. It's what we do. Because just, just over yonder. Can you say yonder? Is that to Oklahoma? Just <laughs> way down yonder. Oh, that's Mississippi. Uh, <laughs> youth conference, forgive me just over the horizon, just over the street, just right there. You're so close to the beach and you're, toler you're, you're, you're satisfied with so little. And I just want to invite you, the Christian journey is new life in Christ. It is Christ. It's that great Hudson Taylor quote. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, then he's not Lord of your life at all. Like we got to put him mm, supreme. Mm, preeminent. Not, not you're in my mix and I'll get, I'll, I'll figure out 
where to, where to use you, where I want you, but just surrendered knee, eyes open, Lord, supreme, preeminent. I want you to be Lord of everything, supreme in my life. You are God. You're God. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. He's the center of it all. He holds all things together and he's preeminent. Will you just bow your heads with me? Maybe today you say, Jesus hasn't been supreme or preeminent in my life, but I'd like for him to be. And whether it's your first time or just a renewed moment where you want to look to Jesus today and say, you be Lord of my life. You came to earth. You lived perfectly. You died on the cross for my sin, in my place, for me. You rose from the dead. You are Lord of all. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. You will return. I give you my life. I will not live for myself. I will give my life to you. I want to spend eternity with you. If that's you today, I just want to invite you just to just pray this prayer. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Be the Lord of my life. Save me. and Give me eternal life with you. If you're here today and you go, man, I prayed that prayer years ago. But I want a fresh moment of saying, Jesus, be Lord. You can have it all. All things. You can have all things in my life. I want to invite you to say that. Jesus, I give you all. You are Lord and supreme, preeminent over all in my life. Father, as a church, we just say this. You are head of the church, so you are head of this church. We will follow wherever you lead us. This is your people, your time. Have your way. Do what you want. We surrender all to you. Be Lord of Radiant Church. We give you everything. The preeminent Christ. We love you. You've been so good to us. In Jesus' name. And the whole church said amen.